Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. We also have a special guest tonight. Joe Lanzo from The Key Play is joining us. Joe, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Pete. Glad to be here. Joe's going to have to stick with us through a couple announcements. We got some housekeeping to do. We got an Instagram account. That's right. 2DVT is on Instagram. All those pictures you've been missing, we're going to be posting. We got some TBTs coming up and things like that. And I know, why would you follow an Instagram account for a podcast? I don't know. Robbie, do you have any insight on that? No, I don't. Uh, and it's pronounced Insta, I think, is how the cool kids say <laughs> IG. it this day. I, or the IG. Um, and uh, I... Um, I don't know, but definitely follow. It's as everything. Uh, the Two Deep BT uh, is, is the tag on Insta as it is everywhere else. So you know, go ahead and join, and then you can look at Pete's beautiful face. It'll <laughs> it'll be perfect. Two more quick announcements before our cheers. We're doing an in-person pod this Saturday, August eighteenth, at the Goat in Arlington. That's actually the building our podcast was born in. Uh, three years ago, I believe. 2015 was our first season. And so we're excited to come down to Arlington and do a live show. It should be fun. And I think high noon will be recording time. We'll probably get there a little bit earlier than that and set up. And it'll maybe an hour, two hours. Come and hang out if you're around. That was the old Hard Times Cafe. Rest in peace. And the last thing we wanted to mention before we get started was... Robbie came to me and asked if we should start a Reddit page for the podcast. And this is something we want to float out to the listeners. Give us some feedback on Twitter if you'd think you'd engage with us on a Reddit page. Because I know we don't have a forum other than Twitter to, to communicate and you know hammer us on things we did wrong in the podcast and that kind of thing. And so I think that might be fun. I know Robbie's on there all the time. Yeah, I'm a huge uh, Reddit guy. I, I just uh, I'm a huge nerd just in general. So uh, I don't know if it's a good idea. I have a feeling that we'll just get trashed, like, you know, <laughs> repeatedly from every statistic that we're off on uh, on a Reddit page. But it's something that I've just been thinking about because I spend a fair amount of time on on Joe's website on the Key Play. Basically, I split my time between the Key Play and Reddit. So, uh, in thinking about that. Um, we don't really have any avenue. Our website is, uh, it's very much, uh, trash, uh, as, because I designed it. So <laughs> it's, it's clean. It's, uh, yeah, it's, but it's simple, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's clean it meaning way. it's shitty is what, is what he means, uh, is basically where you're getting at. So I don't know. It was an idea that we've been spitballing around. We'll see if, um, you know, we end up doing it, but let us know if it's something you'd be interested in. And I know there's a lot of people. Um, that use Reddit these days and, and they like it. Um, or if not, whatever, we'll, uh, we'll just continue just pushing stuff out and not getting any feedback. <laughs> All right. Why don't you give us a cheers to kick this thing off, Robbie? Uh, I, I, tickets came in the mail yesterday. We posted some pictures of that. We are officially in... I guess we're within three weeks of football kicking off, which is pretty exciting. And how about a cheers to a lot of scandals uh, going on within college football, but the ACC really only has somebody selling sneakers. Um, So I I will take sneakers getting sold any day of the week uh, over some of the other things that are hanging around uh, in college football right now. So how about a cheers to... um, 
you know, keeping our nose relatively clean during uh, an off season that heated up pretty quickly. Cheers. A couple of quick news and notes before we get into the meat of this podcast, which is going to be win confidence. I asked both Robbie and Joe to rank all of our opponents and the games in order of how confident you feel in a hokey victory. So in terms of points, 12 points would be the easiest game to win and one point would be the hardest game to win in terms of your confidence. So we're going to get into that a little bit later, but first let's do our news and notes and I'll start with one basketball note. I know we want to talk only football this time of year, but Kadeem C has left the basketball team again. I'm having deja vu because this happened, what, September of last year, right? Like even closer to the season. Uh, looks like we're going to be short big men again, Robbie. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, Joe, what are your thoughts there? <laughs> I, I, I actually saw this headline and just busted out laughing at this point. I couldn't, I didn't know what to think. I feel like the only weird thing about this is, is like, it seemed like Buzz Williams like really wanted that to work out, right? Like Buzz kind of kicked him off the team last year. I think if I remember correctly, he got kicked off because of, he he transferred like willingly, but then he really wanted to come back. There was like a, some scuttlebutt that he was like enrolled like two days later, like Mark Berman um, of the Roanoke Times reported he was back and then he wasn't. And then Buzz like took him to task like in January when he did come back on the team. Um, so it was just weird to me that like Buzz really, really like Buzz maybe like really just liked the kid at a personal level um, or just thought he could be a contributor to the team because he really wanted that situation to work out and it didn't. And I think as a result, you're kind of like behind on a scholarship now, right? Because they they basically lose a scholarship player and I don't know if you could backfill that right now. Well, we did bring a kid in two weeks ago. I don't know if that was that scholarship or not, but regardless, the reason I think he wanted it to work out is because he's the only other big we have, right? I mean, we have Blackshear and him and Nick Fullard, who hardly played last year, was another big, but he's, I think he was a senior. I don't know why we can't have nice things with basketball. I feel like we're getting like so close and this year was really gearing up and just a blow to the front court is, uh, it's kind of brutal. Yeah, that was a good point about the about that other. Uh, I I don't know the kid's name off the top of my head because like once May hits, like I just all basketball <laughs> yeah, my brain just like floats out because it's you know time to prepare for football. Um, but I I guess the only point I'll make about the the bigs is like they didn't really have a lot of bigs last year, and you know they did pretty well making the tournament. I don't know I, I don't know if an extra big is like what would help them kind of propel more in the tournament or would just kind of playing better help propel them in the tournament? Because I kind of like, I sort of enjoy the type of basketball they play with a bunch of guys who can kind of like shoot it and shoot it from anywhere. And it's, that's interesting. Yeah. But if you remember in that tournament, Blackshear, what came in the second half, they put him in for like a minute. He picked up another foul and then it's like, okay, we're basically, we don't have any bigs for the rest of the game and we're in the NCAA tournament. Like even if you have a body who can defend the rim, like C potentially could have, but we'll move on. We did get the commitment from Brandon Dorless, the 2019 DT that was announcing a week and a half ago, I want to say, and that will be very helpful in the wake of the Cam Good departure. He's a project, but I feel like Cam Good, with his weight issues, was going to be a bit of a project as well. 
everybody has been talking about the problems uh and joe you know you you and i and, and pete have been talking about what what's going on in the defensive line and our inability to keep retain recruit stock that side of the ball it's been a problem for a long time and interested in in your thoughts joe on what do you what do you think the problem is and i think it it deserves a broader discussion because it seems to be a pain point that for us uh, a continuing pain point that even if we have a good line it seems that it's you know we got we got five players at best or maybe sometimes six right there's not even a two deep that we end up having uh, on the team and this happens constantly yeah i think there's two problems uh the first issue is that Tech doesn't really sign a lot of four-star defensive tackles. They offer um, quite a great deal of them, especially in Virginia. There's just been a, a ton of four-star defensive tackle, defensive end talent, you know, in the state and really even in North Carolina. And like Tech has kind of gone down to like the final group or the final two, and they've just been beaten out like time and time again. I think really Ricky Walker, who was kind of an underrated recruit, anyways, he was a, a three-star, like really high three-star kid. Um, but he didn't even really play. I think uh, French always kind of talks about how he played, you know, his, his film of like uh, Ricky Walker playing linebacker versus uh, Marshawn Williams at running back and them just like hitting in the hole all the time. So maybe that's why he was a little bit underrated. Um, yeah, so one, they missed out on their four-star uh, kids in their backyard. And then the other thing is, is what baffles me the most is that um, – you know, Charlie Wiles always says in interviews that he wants to rotate his defensive line. He really wants eight defensive linemen. So that's, you know, four defensive tackles that need to be ready to play. But then they go out and just sign one in a class. So, like, they signed Cam Good last year. And they, you know, quote-unquote signed Joe Kane, who was, like, really a sign and then moved to center. Like, I don't think they had any designs on him actually playing defensive tackle, given how fast they moved him over to offensive line. And then in the last class, uh, I think they only signed two and one transferred out uh, pretty quickly after. And they, they're all kind of like, you know, tweener. There's, I think Settle was really the only true, like Settle and Cam Good, I guess, really the only kind of like true defensive tackles where they were like at a big weight already. Um, you know, we don't, you know, Tech doesn't really sign too many kids that are in that, I guess, like, I don't know, maybe 280, 290 range. I guess it's probably partly because, there's so few of those, you know, kids in America. I think if you're carrying that much weight and you're playing that well in high school, you're probably, those are the highly rated kids uh, they're missing on. So if it were me, I would probably sign an extra defensive tackle. I would shoot to sign a minimum of two at max, probably like four per cycle because they're tweeners. And if you're expecting them to bulk up weight and then play the position, there seems to be a higher um, burnout rate with that philosophy. So you just need to take more bodies, very similar to the offensive line. Right. We talked about that last year with you. Uh, we did a podcast in August just about a year ago, and we talked about how there's not enough offensive linemen in the program. And between our recruiting after that podcast and some guys that we recruited, like Joe Kane, flipping to the other side, we've now got 24 offensive linemen in the program. There will be attrition. There will be guys who get processed out. But ultimately, we should end up with really good starting fives for the next few years. Defensive tackle is quite the opposite. And we have three now in the 2019 class, but that's kind of what you should be doing every year. Yeah, and I feel like the three are all 
kind of projecty. Like, yeah. not one of them is like a, a blue chip type player. Yeah, Kendrick seems like the highest talent wise. Yeah, I think they all could be good. I just don't think they're all. I think what they really need is a JUCO or a grad transfer that could come in and play right away next year. Because, like, literally next year, I think the top defensive tackle is probably like uh, Gerard or Jared Hewitt. I don't know how he pronounces his first name, but Hewitt is probably that top guy after Mahota and Ricky Walker both both leave the program. So, and, and that's that's a disaster because next year the the the, the team is. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be. It's gonna be stacked. I, I know. Literally at every position, that they're gonna be stacked except for that, and that's what's so frustrating. Um, that I feel that's what Tech does a lot is like they always can put together like a really solid team except for that one thing, and that one thing is like what derails or could derail the whole season, especially too with the amount of um, with the up tep, you know. Wiles already likes to rotate his defensive linemen, but now you're playing more teams that are up-tempo, and you have Georgia Tech on the schedule, who is good for, like, decapitating knees or whatever the right word, taking out the knees of, like, one defensive player, you know, defensive tackle, you know, per year, it seems, or, you know, really, you know, banging up the line. So it just kind of seems like you need a deeper bench there now, especially with the pace of play and how the game is moving. It's a shame the way it's it's turned out, but it's probably not too much of a coincidence that three years into an offensive head coach's tenure, we're going to be loaded on offense and just a little bit lacking at a couple of the defensive positions. Yeah, it was, uh, it was I think like in 2014, I interviewed uh, Bud Foster and I talked with him a while about his defense. And I asked him like what positions, you know, are critical to his defense. And he said corners and defensive ends. He said when he has good corners and good defensive ends, he could do a lot of, um, other things there and i think they yeah he's shrinking the field i mean he's basically making an extremely narrow field which he loves i mean that's that's right up his alley (laughs) so i think a positive is a lot i think those are probably the two deepest or deeper positions i mean linebackers pretty loaded too it is but the defensive backfield looks really really you know they're inexperienced but they got a ton of speed and a ton of size and uh you know some length out there and the guys at defensive end i mean defensive ends like you know (laughs) I think there's going to be some really good defensive ends that just don't have playing time. Like there's, they're just, they're deep. Yeah, it seems that way. Uh, and with a team like Virginia Tech, if you are deep at receiver and O line and D end, and I wouldn't say we're deep in the in the backfield next year, but we'll have some good options. You're going to suffer somewhere, and I guess that suffering is going to take place at defensive tackle, maybe at running back. We'll see, but. Let's move on to our next topic. We've got a little sidetrack. Let's finish these news and notes. The coaches poll came out after our last podcast. Virginia Tech is ranked 17th. Clemson is number two. Miami is number eight. Notre Dame, one of our opponents, is number 11. And Florida State, our opening week opponent, is number 19. I guess the coaches uh, didn't see what happened in our offseason because 17 seemed a little high to me. Well, I think uh, I joked around that uh, Justin Fuente himself didn't have us in the top 25. So I think that uh, that pretty much puts an exclamation point on what we're seeing is, yeah, I think he knows pretty well what we lost. Joe, what did you think about the ranking? I mean, we all know that the coaches poll is is the worst poll. Like, There's the least amount of thought put into it of probably any of the polls. So 
take it with a grain of salt always. But the fact that we're ranked ahead of Florida State, who's going to be favored in, on every book when it comes to the opening week against us, uh, is, is kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, the ranking is too high. I, I would not rank Tech in the top 25 to start this year. I think it's kind of, you know, I, I guess the only argument that could be made against that is, like, who are the teams, like, that you're ranking ahead of them, like, in the bottom of it. Uh, but at this point of the year, it's just, like, I I don't know. I don't really pay too much attention right. to it. I think the coach poll, like you said, it's, like, mostly sports uh, information directors vote in that thing. Very few coaches actually vote it. If they beat Florida State, then they deserve to be ranked probably in the top 15. I will say that. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Speaking of which, we got Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler doing the play-by-play for that game. So that is going to be great. Uh, you couldn't ask for a better a better duo to announce the game. I'm psyched about it. They did the uh, Labor Day, what was it, uh, game, Ohio State game, um, was Fowler and Herbstreet, I believe. Uh, yeah. I, I love Chris Fowler is just one of my favorites. I, I He's now doing a lot of stuff on tennis, and I know somebody that's like really tied into the tennis organization for media, and I keep reminding them that if there's any chance that I can like back my way into ever meeting Chris Fowler, like make my like my life complete, because I, I just think he's just so awesome. The way that he you know prepares for the games, the way that he announces them, uh, the the way that he carries the spirit of you know college football and the excitement is just it's so fun. Um, so I, I was, I was actually pretty stoked to hear that. Yeah. I, I love Fowler. Um, I think it's really interesting that he gets as excited. It seems for tennis as college football, because they're just kind of like really different things, but he is, you know, I watched the, the, I watched the majors in tennis. Like I'm not an avid tennis follower, but I'll, I'll watch the U S open and I'll watch Wimbledon and all that stuff. And like, he's into that. I mean, it's, it's always really interesting to me, but yeah, as far as like being a voice, I would say for me, he's definitely like the voice of like my generation of, you know, college football fan, like mid thirties, like kind of grew up with him and he's just been, you know, awesome as like a flag bearer of the sport. It makes it feel a lot more big time to hear Herb Street and his voice over the broadcast. That's for sure. Yeah. Herbie, Herbie's great too. And I didn't think Herbie would be like really good, but I feel like they're a great um, pair together. Like I think they work really, really well together. I want to hate him, but I somehow love him. I, I, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Like, I love like, no, that's my point. I love him too. That, but you would expect like, oh, yeah, this guy, he's just going to be, you know, completely biased uh, for the Big Ten. And then you listen to him. He's one of the smartest analysts that in, in, in by far. He knows the ins and outs of almost every program. You can't bring up a player that he gets caught off guard about. Um, he's... He's utterly, uh, you know, amazing in the way that he approaches uh, his analysis, analysis, and his announcing, um, which I would never have guessed. Just like you said, Joe. <laughs> and I feel like he never talks about himself as a player, which is like such a plus. I know, like when watching golf, like if you listen to Johnny Miller, like literally, it's like you can watch, you know, a golfer that he's broadcasting, and it's just like a play-by-play of like every hole of his career. And I don't think Herbie ever like uses his platform as like a trip down memory lane, which, you know, mad respect to him for doing that. Most people don't know this, but I only know because my dad was a huge golfer. Johnny Miller was the biggest pompous asshole growing up as a golfer. (laughs) So that's why uh, that he uh, and uh, he was very, very confident in himself, uh, you know, when he was uh, he was out there. So that's why he talks so much about himself. 
although we've already been having an open discussion, before we start the official open discussion, why don't we take a beer break? Robbie, what are you drinking? Right now, I'm having the uh, Parkway Brewing Company uh, from Salem, Virginia. The beer is uh, four damn fights to a pint. Uh, one of the more confusing names. I'm still trying to get through that. It's a double IPA. It actually started as one of the worst beers that I've had in a while. As my um, taste buds have gotten more accustomed to just how much, you know, the amount of hops that are put into this beer, it's actually gotten better. They threw Galaxy uh, Centennial hops in here, just a whole bunch of stuff through you know, citrus and tropical fruits on top. Um, I wouldn't suggest it. I would, but I would drink it if I had to. So it's not going to be one of my highest rated double IPAs. Let's just put it that way. And uh, it takes a little getting used to. Joe, what are you drinking? I am drinking Maker's Mark. Oh, all right. Just getting right after it. I like it. No, no PBR this time. <laughs> Nope, I went to go pick up some PBR at the store, and I could not find Pounder, so I would just pound some Maker's Mark instead. I love it. Bourbon is always acceptable on the podcast. I am drinking the Stone Tangerine Express IPA. I actually had to check our own trash website, as Robbie calls it, although it does come in handy because all of our beers are listed on there. I wasn't sure if we had had this one. I was at the store, went to 2DVT.com, where you can stream all of our podcasts, and we had not had this one. So the Stone Tangerine Express IPA, it's tangerine and pineapple in an IPA, 6.7% alcohol. Neither fruit comes across a ton. It just kind of tastes like a lighter IPA. I'm really enjoying it. Stone, their product is superior to most, and so I was expecting it to be good. I would like a little bit more fruit taste, but I'm, I'm still enjoying it nonetheless. Stone's Tangerine Express IPA. So, Joe, the key play secured another interview with Coach Justin Fuente. Congrats on that. That is awesome. Uh, were there any takeaways from that interview that you know stuck out to you? I think kind of like one of the biggest takeaways I would say was that, you know, Fuente kind of subtly, I think, nudged the more vocal part of the fan base, maybe just the fan base in general. I know he had a quote in there where he said something like, you know, I don't have my head in the sand over here when it comes to this sort of stuff. You know, kind of like, you know, maybe it wasn't a nudge or a jab. Maybe it was just like, you know, I do, you know, I think I think he's been second-guessed quite a bit by everyone. Um, and maybe that's just because I run, you know, a Virginia Tech website. But I know a lot of folks on the key play, you know, have, you know, have kind of some of his decision-making. They've kind of questioned, and it's fair enough to do that. Maybe the, the average, more casual fan who's not, you know, hardcore, you know, in the Virginia Tech football every hour of the day thinks he's probably doing a great job considering he's won, you know, 10 games, you know, his first year and nine games his second year. I mean, that's pretty, pretty darn good on paper, but I did think that that was, uh, you know, that was kind of an interesting comment. I'm, um, that would probably be my number one thing that I took away from that. Only Georgia Tech. That's the only question that we have for him was, uh, that, 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 that's, that's it. (laughs) What the hell were you doing? (laughs) Yeah, he definitely kind of something I noticed in that article is just he he kind of spread the blame for some of the mistakes last year. Whether it was 
Josh's quarterback play or the receivers not coming through. You know, there was a little bit of, you know, Cam was banged up at the end. That's why Josh was struggling. And But it wasn't all on the receivers. And then he talked about the running game a bit too. Um, maybe a little coach speaky uh, just in in the deflection of the blame. But it's always it's always cool to see an interview with a head coach. I remember he went on the solid verbal two years ago, which was awesome. And now he's done what back to back years interviews with you guys. Uh, yeah, it's cool that you can get that access. Yeah, and I mean he's actually pretty. I think this interview was a little less candid than the one he did last year. I think last year, actually, I think this might be the third or fourth time Alex has interviewed him. I think he talked to. He talked to Fuente, I want to say, in February. It might have been after signing day, before spring practice. And he asked him about um, the running game, like why the running game, you know, was so poor last year. And I think, like, the easiest way to, like, spot a casual fan versus a more kind of a depth fan, I feel like most casual fans, if there's something on offense not working, they immediately blame the offensive line. And as a former offensive lineman in high school, <laughs> I guess that's just a personal uh, pet peeve of mine at this point. But I think there's some truth to it. I feel like there's absolutely times when the offensive line plays bad. Um, I think most of our fans last year absolutely would have blamed the offensive line. Seven out of ten of them, right? But Fuente literally came out and you know his quote was, that I, that I still remember, is like, we have to make un- unblocked Pat miss more, right? And that's such an awesome, like, you know, it's like you're getting in the nitty-gritty coach speak when you're calling, like, defenders hats, right? That's just X's and O's at its finest. Um, But he said it was, like, one of the most, I think either the most or one of the most successful years about getting a running back or a ball carrier one-on-one with the unblocked guy. And that's really how how football works. Like, you you can only block so much at at every point of attack. And you have to have ball carriers dynamic enough to make defenders miss. And I thought that last that that article was like really uh, I thought that was a really good quote. And I just thought it was interesting where he said, you know, the offseason has been kind of like incredibly positive. Yeah. Um, how he used it as a teach has he's been using these things. You've as the like, spin zone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's it's it, I, I don't think it's that I, I think and he said and during media days he said he's more amped up than he has been since hmm. he came to Virginia Tech and he said that's not to say that I wasn't focused and excited before yeah. but I think that's because he knows what we're about to get into right here that it's a building year but I think I mean that's what's gotten me juiced up like about seeing what we see on the field to this year because what are we losing the year after or the year after that even? I mean, it, I, I think he feels like everything that we put into this year is only going to build and, and, and cause a snowball effect for the next few years ahead. And um, I thought that was the most transparent that he's been when he said, I'm more enthusiastic right now than I have been, you know, since I joined. And it's not that I wasn't enthusiastic, but I think he knows what he's putting in. He's not going to lose like right away, which, which did happen two years in a row, quite frankly, with Isaiah Ford, with Cam, with, you know, with Settle, with, I mean, with the, 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 the brothers Edmund, with, uh, you know, you go through the whole line of it, but yeah, you know, he lost, he lost everything that he, you know, they poured all their heart into on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like from a, a media perspective, I think he's actually a pretty 
he definitely talks a lot more after a loss than than a win. Like after a loss, like he gets pretty open about like why they lost the game, which is actually pretty refreshing. I think compared to Beamer, um, you know, Frank kind of really just, you know, you know, you know, well, we were one block away. Like that's the Frank meme, right? Fuente really kind of gets into it. Um, sometimes it's kind of a disservice. Sometimes you just kind of want to hear the head coach say like, you know, it's all on me. I kind of, I messed this up. Um, but he doesn't, I mean, he gets in there and he talks about like what went wrong, which is good. I feel like there's sometimes when he just doesn't have, doesn't really want to do any of the media obligations where he just like hears questions that are almost, I don't know if they're like beneath him or he's kind of just like up at the podium. Like, why do I have to go, you know, why am I here right now? I'd rather be breaking down film or something like that. But when he's at a place where he wants to kind of talk, like he's actually pretty open, which is pretty, pretty solid. That's a good transition. There's been a lot of various coaching comments uh, just in the last few weeks, whether it's from Bud or Fuente or any of the position coaches. And with all of the negative news items we've had this offseason, which commentary in particular, and we've already mentioned a couple, makes you the most optimistic about this season? Like, what, what did you hear and be like, okay, I think we might be okay now? Either one of you guys can go. For me, it's offensive line. I mean, they—it's got to be the 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 commentary is. I don't think it's lip service at this point. I feel as though they are extremely confident in the, the offensive line and the depth that we have there, the experience who's coming back. So, um, you know, a, a good offensive line, um, an experienced offensive line can can really make up for, you know, a lot of sins on, on that side of the ball, uh, I feel like. And, um, I, 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 for one feel like that, um, they wouldn't be putting as much lip service to, to that group unless they felt really good about it. And that helps the run game. If the run game gets established, um, and you know, people's healthy and, you know, if we get the, if we get the right people there and we start being productive, it's going to open up the pass game I think that's going to be the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to seeing in um, the offense this year. And quite frankly, for the team. Yeah. And it's kind of like interesting too, because like Vance Vice has just been crushing recruiting too. I mean, the guys he has signed um, and, you know, has committed right now, like having a four star offensive tackle from, I, I know it's Kentucky. I want to say Lexington, Kentucky. Um, and it's, it's interesting, too, um, a little bit of a sidebar. Whenever I interview um, head coaches, high school head coaches, about uh, kids who have committed to Tech, I always ask them like what they think of Coach Wente and what they think of the program. Sometimes I'll put, like, a, they really, those quotes are just kind of for my own benefit. I don't really put them in the articles. They don't fit. Sometimes I'll kind of drop it in the forum on the website. But I don't think I've talked to a coach who hasn't said something to the effect of, like, that guy knows what he's doing. He's going to have that program like turned around. Um, so that's always interesting to hear because they don't really have to say that um, in that sort of interview. Um, I've, you know, you get some of those high school coaches are pretty opinionated and they really have no reason to care about, you know, being, uh, you know, saving face or it's not like they're their colleagues or anything. Whereas other college head coaches kind of do have to butter up the opponent, so to speak, or say nice things. They're pretty, um, open book there. Uh, yeah, advice, you know, the, I, I would agree with Robbie. I feel like I feel really confident in the offensive line, um, not to steal his answer. I will also say that the 
seeing all of what I'm calling the hill gains from Hillgart <laughs> has just been unbelievable. I love um, the hill gains. Hill gains. The hill gains. Hill gains. And I, I feel like that's maybe one of the reasons why Fuente is like a little bit getting more excited because like the kids he signed, you know, starting in 2016 and now 2017 are starting to like, you know, get faster, get bigger, get stronger. They're getting it, getting into the rotation now. And it's like his kids coming through the program. Uh, not to say that the seniors, I mean, I think he inherited some really good upperclassmen from, from Beamer, probably like maybe some of the best Beamers put together between, you know, we said the Edmonds brothers, um, you know, Wyatt, Wyatt Teller, um, you know, those guys. But I think he, Fuente is getting excited about uh, his class coming through and uh, I think it's going to be really fun to watch, you know, how he does as a coach with more of his players on the team. I really enjoyed the linebacker and the most recent defensive back comments, just because those are both so mysterious because of the guys haven't played to, to hear about Ashby and Dax just being like so into the playbook and just ready to, to burst on the scene this year really made me hopeful. Of course, we also have Dylan Rivers, who is holding off Dax, I guess, at the backer position. I'm not exactly sure what who the what the two deep entails in the linebackers. I just know Ashby's going to be starting Mike, and Rivers right now looks to be the starting backer, and then you got Dax on the heels of both of them, I suppose. That made me feel better. And then when they were talking about the safeties and Diablo got on the mic for a bit, all of that made me feel like those safeties should be pretty good, Floyd and Diablo. So then you got to fill those two corner spots. And just hearing that Quillen, a junior, is going to be a starter, and then I guess it was Watts, who they've always felt strongly as just hasn't played very much, is the other corner. I was like, at least I got a, I got a four guys. I know the names of. Like I feel a little bit better about it. And and Bud had nice things to say about him. Yeah, I kind of think Caleb Farley is going to beat out someone for that other corner spot. I can't imagine that if that Farley is going to be kept off the field this year because he is just athletic and fast. Um, I probably the most ridiculous Hill Gaines picture as well. Yeah. Yeah. Him and, uh, um, Oh man, I can't remember who else had a really good Hill Gaines photo. There were so many. Hunter, um, uh, McLeese posted McLeese is up to, almost 200 pounds now on it on the hill gains program man um but going back to divine uh, I, I think it was josh jackson who said um someone asked him about if he had posted a photo like that and he made the dad bod comment about himself and he said that you know he roomed with divine and divine looked like a mannequin and then divine did the media diablo did the media this week and like he legit is just a chisel uh specimen like he's in really good shape and he he basically looked like a mannequin yeah. you know we just need him to stay healthy this year yeah and he he was they asked someone asked him a question about you know if he misses catching balls and he was like no nah, i'm all about hitting now <laughs> no. That's right. and dalton keen from his Keene, first man. year oh, to man. his second year to his third year looks like an entirely like that is the scariest man I've ever seen. Like he is absolutely jacked. Um, it was incredible. He was throwing up absurd numbers in high school. I remember talking to him in high school and interviewing him, and then you know he was talking about some of his weights. And I went back and looked at his Twitter, and he had videos of him like you know cleaning. I think like three hundred pounds, and you're just like, oh my god, this kid is in high school and he's doing all this stuff. It was unbelievable. 
So if we, have we reached uh, full hype train status now on the season with these various comments coming out? I mean, it's camp, so we're getting you know, yeah. It's all good news right now, as long as it's not an injury. And I, I'm, I guess I'm going to find out in a minute here when we do our win confidence how how good you feel about the team. But what's your temperature on the team right now in general, Joe? Like, are you are you thinking this is just like a a building year? Do you think we have a chance at the coastal? What what are you, what's your thought process? Uh, I think Tech has a pretty favorable schedule, so I think they have a chance at the coastal. My expectations are not, you know, win the coastal or bust. Like I'm not expecting them to win the coastal. Um, I do think they need to beat one of Miami, Notre Dame, or Florida State to kind of like take the next step. I just want a respectable year this year. Like I'll take nine and three as long as like one of the wins of the nine is you know miami at home i mean if you beat miami at home you're setting up pretty nice for maybe and you win you know eight other games you're setting up pretty nice to go to the acc championship game you know what i mean so absolutely um, next year next year i think are when the expectations kind of really you know next year is very much a acc champ acc you know championship appearance or bust type of year but the coastal is getting better. I mean, Miami's Miami's putting it together. Georgia Tech, you know, Fuente's got to get you over never that. Know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Fuente's got to get over that hump. He does. Um, Duke's always pretty solid. So, um, yeah, I feel like eight. Anything. My expectations for this year is anything less than eight games, eight regular season wins is probably a bad season. Anything more than eight, kind of says, okay, this was a good year, a really good year. You beat my expectations. I'm expecting them to win eight games. I feel like eight's a fair number. Robbie and I are going to save our record predictions for our season preview this weekend. But for right now, let's jump into this win confidence ranking. And I'll, I'll kind of go around the circle, and we can go in different orders and that kind of thing. But for 12 points, I think I have an idea of who everyone put down as the 12-point game on this win confidence. And I'm going to go with William and Mary, Joe. Yes, William and Mary. No, East Carolina. <laughs> I think East Carolina might be. You think the Jimmy worst Laycock team. and the tribe might have something for us? <laughs> uh, yeah, because I guess what? It. He's retiring. So, guess what? His players are going to actually, they will take bullets to the chest. They will do anything for him to, to try and like put some product on the field in his final season. So. Uh, if I had to think of who's actually Montgomery's gone, right? Like that, that, that is that, that whole organization is just, it's just like dust in the wind at this point. Um, William and Mary is the exact same situation, but for the opposite, like you had a coach that literally dedicated his life to a program. Um, the players love him. So I, 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 I have East Carolina. I think they're going to be absolutely terrible this year and i don't think they're going to be playing for much because they know scotty's taking the you know exit stage right so can um, you go ahead can I interrupt one, one, one second i know you brought it up a few weeks ago but can you one more time just des- uh describe the s&p uh the s&p chart for east carolina's defense in 2017 <laughs> yeah <laughs> I it's uh it's a bullseye <laughs> let's just put it that way yeah. the s&p chart for those that are not nerds like us, uh, is circular and it has a bunch of rankings. So the wider the like uh, Michigan's defense two years ago had almost like a perfect circle when they put out that like ridiculous, awesome defense, I think it was. And it was like almost a full circle. 
like outside of what it, like on the outside border of a bulls. They were a, a pinpoint. East, or East Carolina was a pinpoint, uh, meaning they had the worst defense that you could possibly imagine. And just recently, it was getting shared on Twitter again. <laughs> Did any of you guys ever play Little League Baseball on yeah. Nintendo? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Where the rankings, they had the very similar thing where the powers were a diamond based on your pitching and your throwing. And I remember seeing that. I couldn't remember which team was basically exactly like the ECU of Little League Baseball, where they were all they were all basically ones except for like one, two, and something else. I'm going to go ahead and assume, uh, as we segue, that ECU is going to be Joe's number two. Yes, you're going to so for 11 points. The the second most confident in a win is ECU for Joe Robbie. Uh, ODU. Wow. Jeez, man, you really I've got, you love I've to just on. be different. I love this. Well, we need some of that, so I'm glad. What is your reasoning well, know, that you have ODU ahead of William and Mary? <laughs> I know it's completely counterintuitive, isn't it? Uh, I think I'm really just coming back to the coaching, like kind of final stand. Like this is like we must defend this house type situation. Um, but I, as I dug in, my initial read as we went through everything was I was afraid of ODU because of their defense. And then I realized that it's ODU. And then I wasn't that worried anymore. <laughs> but it's on the road. And it's not on the road. Have you seen their stadium? I'm just saying it it's today. not in Blacksburg. It's like a Virginia Tech training camp game. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, the Beamer Barn is like twice the size as ODU's, uh, you know, stadium. So uh, I would not give it on all the road status. Fair enough. Uh, I went with ECU as well as for for eleven points in the win confidence pool. Uh, Ten points. That's where I put ODU. Joe, yep. what do you have? Old Dominion. Yeah, I have William and Mary. Okay. There we go. All right. Yeah, those we those were I think the clear like most confident wins and unfortunately Robbie didn't drop William and Mary any further down, <laughs> but for, uh, I may, I thought about this next one. <laughs> All right. So for nine points, is there going to be a line for that game? For Will they when? have a line on that game? Probably not. Right. Is there a book? William that and does... Mary? Yeah. That well, last those... year, the Delaware line was like 39 points or something. Oh yeah. They had, they had a line in that yeah. game. We're doing the one to play. I, I know sometimes they don't do. Uh, I don't know a. if they will for William and Mary because they're so bad. UD Rob, was like a top twenty-five team last year. If there's a line, Robbie, you gotta you gotta pick Bill and Mary to cover that. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Bill. Bill is uh, always gonna make me some money. <laughs> so for the game, you are the fourth most confident will get a win in. Joe, what do you have? Uh Virginia. I also have Virginia. I have North Carolina. I, w- I think it's going to be a disaster with the suspensions, uh, 13 people sitting out for the first four games. That's going to cause them. just It's going to screw up the locker room. They were already not that good. I think the, uh, yeah, whenever you're selling Jordans, uh, it's going to cause just internal havoc. Yeah, I know we're, we play them game six, I think it is. So they'll have everybody back, but I think it's just going to be a mess of cohesion trying to get that back on the, on the tracks. Yeah, I think, they, I think they're down for us one defensive end. Basically, they made a, I caught that they made a, they asked the NCAA, for lack of better terminology, 
that they could stagger. They moved him around. Yeah. Yeah. They could stagger when the defensive ends were out because they had so few defensive ends on the depth chart that they said it was a health concern, which. That's why I almost moved them back into the uh, the initial three. Like, that's how confident I am in that game, even though it's. Uh, I was close. Uh, I, know to putting... I know it's on the road, but uh, I think we're going to be yeah. fine there. I was very close to putting UNC in that fourth spot. The, what what didn't do it is because it's on the road and because yeah. it's the week directly after Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. I had it because of the road. Um, at some level, I kind of was probably a little bit biased by uh, the S and uh, by Bill Connolly's preseason write up a little bit. He sounded a little bit bullish on them and what they have kind of coming back because they were just down. Yeah. I think they had like, I, I mean, they milked their injury, you know, narrative to the core mm-hmm. last year. Um, North Carolina is really interesting. I kind of want to see what happens to them. If yeah. they have another season, if Fedora can actually like, he's floated his name out for a job like the last two off seasons and he hasn't been able to get it. So I'm wondering if he actually gets like, you know, his he- life raft out of there. He gone. If he doesn't, uh, if they don't yeah. put the season together, he's gone. They're, they're getting rid of him. We talked about how, I mean, I at least talked about how I didn't think Fedora's a very good coach, but, uh, you know, I, I, getting out of UNC, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing for him. I mean, he's got, he's got funds. He's got, I don't know what the facilities are like for football, but the UNC is always viewed as a sleeping giant. And, I don't think after last year going to this year, although Steele and you said Connolly are a little high on them, I just don't see it. I, I really don't see it, and it's only going to get worse for Fedora if you ask me. All right, so I don't want to assume any more of Robbie's positions. <laughs> so, you can't. I'm going to throw so, you off on all of these. So the eight-point game, I think Joe and I both uh, indicated that it was UNC. Yep. Um, what did you have? Robbie at eight points. Uh, I have Pitt. Okay. Pitt. Okay. Heinz Field. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's at Heinz. I know. I'm. Well, why don't you give us a little bit of your thought process on that? Uh, I I don't. And this was um, this was the hardest one on the whole list for me to place. Quite frankly, uh, and I swap between. Well, I don't want to do that because it yeah, gives away my next pick. Yeah, that's no fun. Uh, I swapped this one numerous times. I, I I don't know what Pitt is actually bringing to the table, like you know, this year. And it, quite frankly, it's probably lack of like I keep looking into what they have. Even when they think they have a quarterback, they end up being trash, and they come out of nowhere and they beat up teams that they shouldn't. Like they're just all over the place um, in terms of the last probably three years in games that they've won, what they're putting out on the field. I have no clue and I hate Pitt. So basically I think I feel really confident that the team's going to be inspired to go to Heinz field and whoop the shit out of them because I actually dislike this team. Probably they're going to be inspired by your hate. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hate feeds the dog. If you, uh, if you will. So, um, I, I don't. I. I. I got nothing here on okay. on this rationale other than the fact that I don't. I don't think we're gonna lose. Well, I'm this happy game. you're that confident in victory over Pitt because they they scare me. They always do. For seven points on the win confidence pool, I put. I'm most confident in a BC win. So I had UVA, then UNC, and then BC, and. The reason being it's at home. I'm scared to death of A.J. Dillon and their offense, 
but I'm a little bit more scared of Georgia Tech, so I had to not I had to move them up just below UNC on my win confidence. Joe, what do you have at seven points? Uh, I have at Duke. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think that's going to be a tough game. It's on the road before Notre Dame. Um, I'm not really big into look-ahead games, but I guess it would be a classic you know, trap game where you're looking ahead to Notre Dame. Also, Duke is always like a really well-coached team, and Cutcliffe is um, a pretty damn good coach. So He's the uh, cut. The cut, man. Yeah, so I have Duke. For, so Virginia, North Carolina, then add Duke. Okay. Robbie, what do you have? Uh, UVA here at okay. seven. That makes sense. You hadn't listed UVA yet. All right, so at six points, I said I have Georgia Tech because I'm a little bit more nervous about them and their running game than even BC's, even though BC could be nasty this year. What do you have at six points, Joe? I have Boston College. Robbie, how about you? Uh, Duke. Okay. See, I'm a little bit more scared of Duke than both of you guys. I got him a few more notches down. Five points on the win confidence. So we're we're getting real low here. There's for the last three, we'll probably go reverse because I think we all know what the last three games are. Uh, maybe maybe I don't. I don't know. Robbie's already thrown me a few. No, you're, balls. no you're you're good. You're good. <laughs> but for five points on the win confidence, that's where I have pit. I'm nervous about Heinz Field. I think we've only beaten them there once since. Yeah, well. Ever, oh, ever, yeah, since ever, 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 <laughs> since Michael Vick was in school, we've only won at Pitt once, and that was the nail biter two years ago with Gerard Evans and thirty nine thirty six, right? Yeah. So I have Pitt's only worth five points to me if we get a win because I'm very nervous. What do you have, uh, Joe? I also have Pitt. Okay, yeah, it's a tough place to play. Uh, to Robbie's point, I really have no idea what they're doing as far as a team or really offensive identity. I think on the one hand, on defense, they want to play you know this Narduzzi defense where they man everyone up and bring a ton of pressures, and they haven't been able to do that with the level of talent they have there. And then on the other hand, they lost their best, like when they lost Matt Canada two years ago, who was just an awesome offensive coordinator for them. So I might be... Head coach of Maryland? Yeah, interim head coach of Maryland. Yeah. Head coach right, of yeah. Maryland. I might be a little bit too concerned with Pitt, and I think that just comes basically what you said, Pete, of watching so many Virginia Tech teams that should have were favored go up to Heinz Field and just lose in unthinkable ways. That's true. That's true. So four points now. Hold on. Um, I didn't get mine in. Oh, you didn't say. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, Five points. Uh, what do you Jordan, got, Rob? Five points, Georgia Tech. I can't argue with that. BC, Georgia Tech, and Pitt, for me, were the tough ones. Uh, I, I couldn't order them. For some reason, I'm really scared of Duke, and that's why they're my four-point team. I just think that game down in Durham the week before Notre Dame, mm. tough defense, probably the best quarterback we're going to face in the regular season in terms of throwing. Uh, if DeAndre Francois were to play, maybe that would be different. But I think Daniel Jones is probably the best quarterback we're going to face. It's on the road. It's Cutcliffe. I had to put him at four points because I think it could be a loss. Joe, what do you have at four? I have Georgia Tech for all the reasons I think. You know, the Fuente hasn't gotten over that hump yet. Paul Johnson is a really good coach uh, and play caller. 
and their their offense is going to be really tricky to stop with uh, against our defense and where it kind of lines up on the schedule. Um, you know, it's it's I that game at the beginning of the year is a little bit better when your knees are a little bit fresher. Um, so I think that's going to be a tough game. Although I do believe, yeah, we uh, there's an extra. It's a Thursday night game, so you have that extra like ten days. Or yeah, so maybe days. that. Yeah, maybe. We'll, and it's sponsored by the Virginia Lottery, so that's all. <laughs> Robbie, what do you have at four points? Uh, let me look through my paperwork here. Uh, uh, Adaz, Adazio. Uh, okay. Adaz, Adaz. You respect the Adazio. I know you do. <laughs> I respect the Adazio. Uh, I have him at uh, BC at number four. Four points for BC. So there's only three games left now. It's Miami, Notre Dame, and our opening week opponent, Florida State. So let's flip these in reverse and give the game that you're least confident in a win. Joe. So the number one point. The number one point, yeah. That is Florida State at Florida State. So you're very, very <laughs> pessimistic about our opening week prospects. I think Tech will be a better team as they get more experience and start playing together. I think it's going to be two very inexperienced teams playing against each other, and I'm going to have to pick the one that's more talented and at home. That's fair. That's fair. Robbie, what's your uh, number one point game? I, I actually followed the same logic, just a little bit differently, which is, um, for us, I think it's Notre Dame. Um, and I know it's a home game, obviously. But the it's right at that point where you come off of two road games. I don't know if the experience that we... we our team has a ton of experience that we have to develop this year. We're six games in, and I'm not so sure that... Um, we're going to be ready to take on that type of environment. And I think, honestly, Notre Dame is a sleeper pick to make the playoff this year. I mean, they've, they're bringing back an exceptional amount of talent. And I think it could be tough. I also think there is um, kind of the, hey, they beat us in our house. We're going to go beat them in their house mentality that they're going to kind of bring into Lane Stadium which, um, you know, we were there kind of, Pete, for, for that game, part of it. We were in a bar, some part of that game. But I, I think they're going to use that as motivation to try and come in and curb stomp us and, and really try and, you know, beat up on the team. So that that's the reason that I kind of I went that direction. I think from out of the gates, they're going to be more experienced, and I'm not sure how fleshed out our team's going to be versus – a team like Miami that we're playing the second game, second to last game of the year. Yeah. Um, where, I mean, there's no excuses at that point for Virginia Tech. Notre Dame's favored by S&P predicts Notre Dame to win every game that they're in this year. So very yeah. much a national title. And um, Miami. Yeah. It's also predicted to win every game. I also put Notre Dame as, as the toughest game to get a win in. Uh, a lot of similar things to Robbie. I think... Since it is earlier, and even though it's the game after Stanford, which helps us quite a bit, uh, they have to go, I believe it's to Wake, then home versus Stanford, and then back to Blacksburg. So a little bit of travel for the Irish and a tough body blow game right before us. But I still have it as the hardest game. They've got a good running quarterback. 
Now, he might not be starting by the time he plays Tech, but right now, Wimbush is an excellent runner. Maybe he develops a pass game. You know how we struggle against those running QBs. They have a deep defense. I think it's a little bit deeper than even Miami's because Miami lost a lot on the line. And so even at home, all those things, I'm going to put Notre Dame as the toughest game. I kind of feel my only deal with Notre Dame is I don't respect, I think, Brian Kelly as like one of those elite level coaches. You're not scared of Brian Kelly. Yeah, he's a very good coach, but he's not like, you know, like Gary Patterson, for example. Like if you put Gary Patterson at Notre Dame with all that talent and his X's and O's acumen, like that's a scary combination to me. And I know Brian Kelly worked, did very well at Cincinnati, but like I don't, I see him underperforming with that. I think he's underperforming with that program right now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's just fair. It's fair. I, 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 they also I completely made a national, see that. I do. But they made a national championship, what, th- four years ago? So, I they mean, did. They, did. they did. <laughs> everybody wants to be like, oh, yeah, Notre they Dame's did. underperforming. You're like, yeah, they played for the national they, championship and four I, years they, ago. <laughs> they, did, they did play the national championship. That's fair. They also then, they had, they, they wouldn't have made it to the out. national the, championship the, now the if there was a playoff. Now the championship game. And they've had just a lot of like, you know, weird losses. Like you see sometimes where they're playing teams like really closely and you're just like, why are they playing this team close right now? They should just run them out of the stadium. So I don't know. I just don't feel like he, I don't even think Kelly would be like in my top 10 of, of top coaches in college football. Totally agree. I just, I I just think the narrative is kind of funny when you're like, you know, if, yeah. yeah, we we would be you know, riding Fuente on elephants like through like Times Square if we made a national championship four years ago. But like, you know, for them, they're like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And their talent level is through the roof. So like, there's no doubt about that. And I totally agree with your opinion. It's just it's funny that position requires you. You are held to the standard of Jimbo. You are held to the standard you know, of, of saving you, you are not held to the standard of Virginia tech. If you are at Notre Dame, like you need to be at such an elite level of coaching. Um, so I totally agree with you. I, in, in him not fitting the bill, um, he needs to be with Dabo. He needs to, that's, that's the level that you don't get to fall down to the level, uh, at the, you know, the second tier of college football programs when you're at Notre Dame. I mean, it's one of the biggest, you know, brands in college football, like probably the top five brands. Yeah. I would say that's a really good, I I wouldn't say like they're, I wouldn't say they're below their trajectory by much, but they're definitely on a downward, you know, they started, I think it was like year two there that he went to the national championship really early in his tenure, maybe year three. But yeah, I think they are probably like among the highest tier two programs, if not like the highest tier two programs, but they have like arguably the most prestigious program, in college football, like the jewel of college football. They should not be, they should not be at that level. And it's weird because they never really have good coaches, right? Like look at their coaches that they've had, like in, in the modern era, like they haven't, you know, they're terrible. Yeah. Like their hires, like Kelly's Kelly's been like, I'm not trying to cat trash Kelly too much, but like Charlie Weiss, like, I mean, he had those couple years. And then they, they, yeah. Willingham wasn't uh, too good. I can't even remember. Was there someone between uh, Weiss and Kelly? Or was that who they went to after? I I couldn't tell you, but I don't think so. Um, yeah, let's 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 move on real quick. But I I do agree with the point overall. Is that like so, for some reason Notre Dame 
it doesn't scare you from a like an X's and O's perspective. It just scares you from the name perspective, and you know they have a lot of talent. And you know, me and Robbie have examined the roster, and it's like that's a scary team. I just don't know what they're going to look like after playing Michigan, a road game, Stanford, and then us. Like it, we might have a chance because of that. I'm still, I I just I'm hesitant to uh, to think we have much of a chance to win. I have it as my least confident game, so I don't really need to say anything else. Two points. Joe, what's your second? No, uh, Notre Dame. Okay. I think, I think okay. we kind of beat that point. Dad. Okay. Robbie. Uh, I have Florida State as okay. my two my two points. So you know what my third well, we just finish it off. Yeah, let's so finish my it two off. Po- Miami's the third, uh, okay. three points. So I So you feel, feel you feel better about Miami than you do Florida State. Yeah, at home. Uh, right. yeah. And that's why I think Lane is going to and and this is predicated upon how the season flows out. Like if we're if we're you know two and whatever six, I'm trying to look at the math on what it would be, or if we, you know if we're having a bad year. But if we get up for yeah. that Miami game, yeah. I think it's going to be old school Miami game at home. Like it's going to be loud and it's going to be fun. I'm I'm actually pumped for that game and cold. Yeah. I think that helps us at the end of the year getting a lot of those Florida kids up in the cold weather. That's a I good point. Hope yeah. it's snowing that day. Like ice cold, rain, sleet. Like the 2009 game where it was like a freaking hurricane, and we just, no pun intended, and took it to them. And they were a top 10 team. That was what I think that was the first year Miami was back. <laughs> it was 2009. <laughs> and they came into Blacksburg and we destroyed them in, in a rainstorm. Uh, I actually put Miami as my second team and FSU as my three point game. I don't know why. I, for some reason, I feel good about FSU and I, I know there's been a lot written and people kind of think we're going to get killed. Something, I just got a funny feeling I, it's on the road, Tallahassee. It's going to be crazy. And Josh is going to have to deal with an awful lot, but I don't know. He started his career in a 90,000 seat stadium winning against West Virginia in a shootout. Can I support your argument for one second? Sure. If we win that game, that is, um, and I don't take it mean to take anything away from the players because they're the ones that have to execute it. That will justify how good Justin Fuente actually is. If yeah. he can go up against Taggart on in his how, like if he can, that is going to be scheme related. He is going to pull out all of the stops, and I guarantee you, you know, it's uh, I'm going back to the Rogers pass over the the you know, the toss pass over the the top. He is going to do everything in his power to win that game because he's gonna he likes making a statement, and I love that about Fuente. Like that's what he wants to do. It's going to be because of Fuente in that first game. The rest of the season is going to be because of the players. If we win, it's going to be because Fuente spent all off season being like. We're going to win this in, in front of everybody um, in Tallahassee, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's it's going to come down to how, how well he can motivate this young team to not lose their nerve in that environment because it's, it's going to be intimidating. There's no doubt. I don't know why. I just got this gut feeling we're going to beat FSU. I still didn't have any more balls to put it above three, but uh, I just I feel good about it. All right, so to finish it off, Joe had FSU was his hardest game. I had Notre Dame. Robbie had Notre Dame. I feel better about FSU, and you guys feel better about Miami, long story short. I, and I I mean, it could go either way. That game against Miami, 
you could see them taking on some injuries. I just have this feeling they somewhat peaked last year. I, I would say that the hype train from the media perspective is as hot as it's ever yeah, been. Yeah, that's true. Like, you know, yeah. I, yeah, as I've, well, I listen to every podcast that I possibly can, and literally Virginia Tech is, they're like, oh yeah, and then there's number two, Virginia Tech, at a chance. Like, if people have Miami pegged for a chance to go at Clemson for to the playoff spot, um, the hype train, I think, is elevated. The fall off that happened at the end of last year, everybody is completely ignoring. I like know. Miami turned into an apps, and I know there was a ton of injuries. I get it. Miami was an absolute dumpster fire at the end of last year. Um, and Showing they started, against Clemson wasn't too good. <laughs> no, they and Clemson that that showed you the difference between where Clemson is and where the the coastal is, basically in general. Clemson. You looked at them, you're like, holy hell, like this team could absolutely like they could just take three players off of their field and still play, you know, go eight versus 11 and they'd probably still win this game. Um, so I, I feel like the hype this year is, is for Miami is as high as it's ever been in terms of confidence. I don't think the team is as good as the hype is, uh, is my my take on it. Yeah, they signed 15, four or four or five-star players in 2018, and they're also putting together another really good recruiting class this year. And I feel like Mark Richt actually knows what to do with talented players, at least on offense. So I kind of feel like Miami is going to have some staying power with Richt. It could all come to a screeching halt in week one for Miami, though. They have a very difficult opening week game against LSU. And while LSU is another team that – is still kind of living off a previous oh, reputation. <laughs> yeah, that's we have to talk about LSU, so Joe can do his Coach O impression. <laughs> <laughs> LSU is not going to be good. If, if Miami loses to LSU, yeah. that's a big problem. LSU is going to be uh, a dumpster fire this year. Uh, and I, I don't so, know. They're just so talented. Even I know like that's what everyone says, but they still are. I feel they're like absolutely talented for many years. Miami was like a black hole for five-star talent. Like you would sign with Miami. You'd be a really good player and you would absolutely have a terrible career and not go to the NFL. And I don't, we need to come up with a name for that, like award, like the similar to the Fulmer cup or something like that. But LSU has now like taken that prize. Yeah. They have such they, a talented they jumped the roster. Shark. And they jumped yeah. the shark on that. <laughs> they're so bad. Like, I don't understand how you could be that bad. Like I read, I read Connolly's preview today um, for them. And it was basically like Decocho forced out Matt Canada because he didn't like his offense because it shifted too much. And it was like the whole point of that offense is to shift in motion. <laughs> and, like, he's so bad to where like he hired that guy, not really understanding. And like he, he tweaked him to change the offense. Then he left. And now their offensive coordinator is like some dude who hasn't coordinated an offense. It's like, 1990s since like the clinton presidency it's absolutely it's absolutely unbelievable what's going on at lsu but they got joe burrow <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> they, they, they finally are going to solve that quarterback thing this year maybe <laughs> and they got a new they got a new mascot because the last one died so, <laughs> I, think, new... I can't remember who it was but someone i was talking to someone about uh the ohio state might have been I, it was either robbie or french the only two people i think i was talking about this and they were postulating if Urban Meyer went to LSU if he gets fired 
from OSU. It might oh, have been no, French. that would not have been me. That might have been. That would have been. Might have been French then saying like LSU, if they were to hire Urban Meyer, would just be an absolute powerhouse. It would be. <laughs> they would have all the talent and actual, you know, from a football sense, a capable. So, somebody head. asked PAPN today if Kirby Smart would go to Alabama and. Uh, I think it was uh, Godfrey came back and he goes, "Why? He's building Alabama. Only yeah. they have they have only they have all the five star recruits, all of them in their state. Like they are Georgia's they, loaded state every year with with D one absolutely loaded. You, and he goes, "Why would I go to? Why would he go to Alabama? Georgia has plenty of money. Has the resp- like? What are you talking about? He doesn't need the Kirby Smart doesn't need to go. He's got Georgia. Like, yeah. what are you talking about?" Like, the the questions are so insane sometimes. Your in-state rival is Georgia Tech and not Auburn, right? Like you have to play Georgia Tech. That makes it so much yeah. easier, and you can play the East, the East instead of the SEC West. Week one is loaded. Yeah, it really is. Miami and uh, LSU. We already talked about Notre Dame, Michigan, and I, I'm game day. What do we want to happen in that game? Do we want Notre Dame to win? To yes. Yes. Just improve our yes. SOS and like have them riding high. There's no, there is nothing beneficial about supporting that jackass in any way, shape, or form. Michigan needs uh-huh. to go down in a ball of flames. I hope. And well, it might reduce ticket prices if Notre Dame lost. Let's just say for the Notre Dame Virginia Tech <laughs> I, game. I there's like, a, but what's the benefit of Michigan winning to to us at all? No, there is not. No, it's just that you don't want to see Harbaugh succeed. (laughs) Well, I don't really ever want Notre Dame to succeed either. So it's really between a rock and a hard place there. It's tough. It helps our strength of schedule. Like, I've always, I I will stick to that mantra. I know people don't like it. I don't root for Notre Dame. In fact, I'm I'm totally against them. But it helps the ACC when Notre Dame wins because it just boosts. They. The, the, say whatever you want about Notre Dame. They play the t- one of the toughest schedules every year because of their guaranteed games against Michigan, against Stanford. You know they have a brutal schedule every every USC, year. Yeah, I'm yeah. oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's I think that that's just helpful if they were able to knock off. Oh God, Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. 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 That milk drinking. <laughs> and so we're the we're the finale on the opening weekend. Florida State, Virginia Tech, Herbie and Fowler. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's there's a few other games, including West Virginia playing Tennessee, which is kind of fun. West Virginia also plays NC State this year, so they got two of those interstate yeah. matchups. <laughs> what the hell was West Virginia thinking with their schedule? I think I brought this up at some point. I can't remember if it was you guys were on Twitter or something, but like West Virginia, I think is playing no one double A teams. The entire Big 12 schedule, and they're playing Tennessee and NC State out of conference. How is that scheduling for success? And I think they well, have to go to Raleigh. Yeah, it's and Tennessee. Well, Tennessee's becoming an FCS school pretty quickly. So <laughs> I, I. Yeah, they did not have a good season last year. I wish the Battle of Bristol could have been postponed by one year. <laughs> we also have Louisville, uh, Alabama. That's oh, yeah. Idea. Yeah, that's going right. to be a slaughter. Yeah. Oh my gosh, they are going to get destroyed. Like, so talk see, about just even if Lamar was still there, just the what Louisville puts on the field in terms of like the type of bodies that they put on versus Alabama, it would be like you know David versus Goliath. Like the size of the linemen would just 
overwhelm Louisville. Like, I think it would just be a lot of injuries. They would just be bringing out the stretcher like every five minutes. (laughs) It killed Florida State season last year. You do not want to play Bama week one. I think, didn't Louisville play Alabama like in 2015 or something like that? It's or was that what that was West Virginia? That was what, <laughs> yeah. Right, well, yeah. They opened Bama opened against us, then they opened against yeah. Michigan, then they opened yeah, against they USC West, and somebody else. I thought West and Virginia us two playing. years before yeah, that yeah. as well. I yeah. thought West Virginia was going to get crushed by them, and I was misremembering uh, between the two. You're right. They did open against West Virginia. And they kept it a lot closer than anyone thought for like yes. three. It was like a it was like one a weird number of game. It was like a. I think it was like a 16-point lead or something like that in the third quarter where like West Virginia might have had the ball and they thought they could get it back, then Alabama just washed them away. Um, I, I, I think Alabama will probably cover against Louisville. Um, yeah, they feel good about the new quarterback in Louisville, but I, and it's receivers. not going to be Lamar Jackson. And no. they are bringing a lot back, but the further you get from Charlie Strong's defense, the worse and worse it's gotten. I think that's fair. I kind of think too, like Petrino, like on the other side of the spectrum of what we were talking about earlier with coaches, is like if Petrino had a ton more talent, like he's a coach that I think um, is like one of those like easily top ten coaches in college football, based on just his quarterback development and what he's done, you know, kind of like more with less versus less with more. Yeah, ethically, probably not the one of the top ten. I don't no. Think. I mean, <laughs> I feel like Petrino's off the field stuff, right? I think there's a metric that you could probably make between of what a coach does off the field and how good he is as a coach to actually get that next job, right? Like Petrino is such a good coach that he left fucking Louisville to go to the NFL, pieced out on the NFL in just a typical, like in probably the worst way you could leave a job, went to Arkansas, had that whole fiasco at arkansas right with the the neck neck brace brace and all that stuff and then got rehired at louisville right that's like taking back your wife after she goes you know and gets married so he's so he's a mix of saban and urban meyer is what you're saying like he's a blend of (laughs) i get what you're saying it's pretty amazing to be honest it is he's such a good coach that like the whole in the louisville community like embraced him like they didn't know first of all the louisville community is well first of all there are a lot of thoughts about Louisville and the administration and what they are willing to put up with there. And the, the, none of that is good. None of that is good. No, it, but I it, mean, that is, no, not, no. that is not good for football. That is not good for athlete. He is a, um, what we call a piece of shit in a lot of, uh, different, uh, you know, nomenclature. No, he is not a good person. I don't care how good a coach he is. He's an asshole. Um, nobody likes him. The media doesn't like him. His administration doesn't really like him. They just put up with him. That no, no, we're not going to glorify him on this. I on think the it podcast. was, but that's kind of making Joe's point is that he was just he's so unlikable and has this baggage, and they were still willing to go out and limb with him. I think because they're in the early stages of the ACC, still they're trying to make an impression. They, you know, they didn't know what they had in Lamar Jackson quite yet, but. I don't know. Like it was just a perfect storm to get him back. Like, I, and I don't think a year later it would have happened. I don't think a year earlier it could have happened, but for whatever reason, the, he becomes available. They need a coach and it just worked out. Uh, but 
Who knows how long he'll last before Brahms there? <laughs> or he goes to Alabama. Brahms going to Brahms going to OSU. Uh, that's that could that could be that could be. You, you want to bet? I I mean, is Urban really going to get fired at this point? It hasn't happened yeah, yet. Let's not uh, yeah, let's not get into let's or... not get into Ohio State. All right, yeah. Joe. The key play is having a happy hour. At least I think they are. Are there any well, details? No, not yet. It, we're, we're I'm trying to plan it. I'm not sure if it's going to happen. We'll we'll see though. Okay, we, I'll be there. <laughs> you, you can you can find out the details. I'm sure from the key play on Twitter or the website. We'll be updating you when they're having their happy hour, if it happens. And is there anything else the site's doing you want to announce? Future for the site, key players club, anything like that? No, not really. Uh, if you haven't joined the key players club yet, maybe check that out. Um, be good to have you in there. Um, now we're, we, I'm really excited about the season. I talked to. Um, Talk to everyone like in June who's been doing writing on the website for probably like everyone's at like year four or beyond, you know. And you know, everyone, you know, I was like, Are you guys feeling good about this year? Are you refreshed? Um, and everyone's really enthusiastic. So we have a lot of like really good stuff planned, uh, football coverage wise this year. I know I just got done editing like French's like 3000 word breakdown of like the Florida State run offense, and it's kind of amazing. So like, I know that's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, just kind of just, I think it's gonna be a really good year. Looking forward to it. Nice. Uh, well, I think that'll do it. Robbie, did you have any final thoughts or comments? I don't join the key play. Uh, if you haven't already, it's, um, you know, it's, it's amazing what you can learn and, and French's analysis, what Alex does, um, Joe doing all the, the editing work plus all of his interviewing of recruits. Um, you, you, you honestly can't beat it, uh, for, for um, any information that you want on Virginia Tech football, and it spans beyond that in terms of basketball and otherwise. So absolutely join because it's, um, you know, Pete and I have been members for four or five probably years uh, now. <laughs> I too. think it's only I, been I, a I couple, but we've been members since the beginning. Oh, no, I meant when I, I joined in. Oh, the website. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, the so, website, yeah. and I think I joined in 2013 or something along those lines. Um, but, no, I meant the Key Players Club. I, I joined that, like, the week it, like, rolled out. And so um, definitely join. It's uh, it's awesome. So thanks, Joe. I will say shout-out to the community. Like, I read through the comments. It's some of those things I, I'll be reading the comments on the website, and I just die laughing. I You know, it's just there. there's a lot of witty and bright people on there that comment probably maybe too smart i think we probably approach as a as a website maybe too smart for our own good sometimes but it's always it's always a blast to kind of see what some some of the stuff people are coming up with because it's pretty funny i would agree with that for sure okay final announcement uh we are (laughs) again doing an in-person podcast this weekend at the goat in arlington come out around noon if you're in the area have a beer with us awkwardly listen to us do a podcast at a table in a bar uh it should be fun we've done it before where it's, <laughs> it's we'll just ignore you and just concentrate on the podcast and then we'll drink with you in between breaks how's that yeah it, it'll nice. be it, it will be a lot of fun um and i think that's it i we're gonna do that's our season preview and then we'll be doing an fsu preview the week before the florida state game uh, I'll get to talk even more about how confident I am that we <laughs> will take down the Seminoles. Uh, it wasn't fair because Joe got to read French's piece before, you know, I didn't get a chance to look at that. <laughs> He's, he, he had some inside information about how they're going to run on us. Uh, subscribe, 
on Apple Podcast. 2DeepVT.com is the website. At 2DeepVT on Twitter and now on Instagram. Insta. <laughs> and until yeah. next time, go hook us.